Welcome to Folk Tales. I'm Dominic Zamet, director at Boat Folk, and throughout this series I'll be joined by a wealth of guests from the UK's boating community who will be sharing their stories of lives spent in, on or by the water. This is a podcast by Boat Folk for Boat Folk. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series with Dorset-based eco-warriors Ollie Rush and Roy Beale, aka Instagram sustainability sensations Clean Jurassic Coast and Project Planet. Ollie and Roy have been sharing their story with Bee Woodland from Portland Marina. Let's hear what they had to say. Hi everyone, it's Bee here from Portland in Dorset and I would like to introduce you to Roy Beale and Ollie Rush. The two adventurers, beach clean warriors and all round amazing and inspiring human beings who share our love of the planet, the sea and this beautiful Jurassic Coast that we live on. Hi guys. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Yeah, all good. Pretty good, pretty good. Awesome. So you are also known by some other names on social media, Clean Jurassic Coast and Project Planet. So tell, tell us about the names. Tell, where did they come from? How did you choose them? Ollie, you can go first. So, yeah, Project Planet, it's a pretty simple answer. We were driving back from Devon, been on a camping trip, and I said to Tess, I need to do something. I need to start up an Instagram page and raise a bit of awareness. And my better half said we were literally just brainstorming different names, and we came up with Project Planet, so we stuck with that one. like it. It was simple as that. (laughs) (laughs) Simple is often the best, I find. Yeah. Mine was, um, originally I was, Running the name Just Add Water, not Plastic, named after my wooden kayak, also called Just Add Water. And then doing all the Jurassic Coast stuff, it was after I met Ollie, actually, which I'm sure we'll come to later. It was around that sort of time when I thought, actually, clean Jurassic Coast might be better suited to what we're doing. It went from there, really. Nice. Okay, so uh, that's the obvious thing then to lead on to is the fact that you can both be found, let's get that out there early, <laughs> uh, on social media, on Instagram and Facebook as Project Planet and Clean Jurassic Coast. So Clean Jurassic Coast is an organisation uh, that you started, Roy. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us more about that. How did you start? How did you come up with the inspiration for it? And where did it come from? Probably go back to when I was quite young. And uh, my mum was instilled into us about you know, not littering and looking after the planet. But realistically, probably when I started sea kayaking, in 2013 and noticing all the plastics on the beaches started picking them up just went from there until the last couple of years when it just seemed to get really bad and probably around the time when David Attenborough came out of Blue Planet 2 and it really raised the awareness to the rest of the world I think about the plastic problem in the in the marine environment that sort of got me off my bottom to actually just stop talking about doing these little initiatives and actually starting one and my initial plan was I don't know if Ollie found the same thing. You start beach cleaning and you think, why is no one helping me? Why am I the only one doing this? And then you start thinking, actually, there are other people doing it, but maybe they feel alone as well. So I first started it to try and connect beach cleaners together to like a hub of community, if you like, make a community. Um, but it's just grown from that. And now we're actually a community interest company and we're using it, doing education and trying to sell sustainable and eco products and, and sort of move forward on that. Amazing. And, and that's kind of where I came across you, posts on Instagram and that sort of thing, creating events, yeah. beach clean. So yeah, 
Excellent. And, and so you, it all started for you, really, when you started the, the sea kayaking and what have you. So yeah. this all stems really from a shared love of the sea and the coastline. Yeah. And, and have you lived on, on the Jurassic Coast sort of your entire life? I've always lived in Devon. Um, if I haven't lived on the coast, I've certainly lived near rivers or some sort of water. But I haven't been far from the coast at any time. Yeah, I've always grown up on boats and in kayaks and stuff like that. How about you, Holly? Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I, I grew up in Dorset, but we've always been near the sea and every sort of holiday we used to go on as kids was always either down in Devon or Cornwall. So it's just a, a mutual love for the sea, really, that started all of this, I think. And, and how did you guys meet? Because you haven't known each other all that long, have you? It feels like we've known each other for years. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> we met because Ollie put a thing out on Instagram um, how much rubbish he was finding at Chapman's Pool, asking if anybody had a boat. I got in touch to say I've got a kayak, uh, if that's any good. And then we just got yapping and just arranged to meet up and uh, just kind of hit it off. We've got the same ideals and the same sort of philosophies. And, you know, we want the same thing at the end of the day of just a cleaner planet. Come pretty good mates, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, I think it's worked out quite well. It's fake. I'm sure, I'm sure things happen. 100% I think things happen for a reason. And I think, yep. we, were I think we were supposed to meet, weren't we, Roy? We were. <laughs> um and it's yeah it's been awesome hasn't it it has it has been awesome yeah and we've not only have we i think inspired many others just off the back of what we do but ollie especially his instagram posts are really good he's really clever with his banter and i think that helps with the education and pulling people in to come and want to join us yeah but yeah i think yeah we, we make a good team. Make a good team. So you, you've been beach cleaning along this coast for you know sort of quite a few years now, and obviously you, you're building the community around that, and it's growing and growing, which is amazing to see. And I, I think you're you're right. You know, the Blue Planet definitely inspired quite a lot of people to get off the sofa and actually go out and do something about it. But there's still a lot of education and to explain to people why we need to look after the coastline and, and not dump our rubbish in it. Of all the, the, the things you've seen when you've been beach cleaning, is there anything that's been like really upsetting or really horrible that you just thought destroyed your, your faith in humanity to an extent? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's plenty to say on that, I think, isn't there, Ollie? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything from finding the remains of seabirds with fishing line around them uh, through to you know, the end of lockdown one with the mess that we were clearing up at Dirtle Door. You know, seeing the way hopefully a minority there are so many thousands there but seeing the way people were just leaving their mess behind and it wasn't just bottles and you know broken gazebos and camping chairs it was a lot worse than that i don't know if we want to say on this podcast um but it was pretty disgusting what we found yeah yeah it's pretty pretty awful and it's just i think another thing is just the quantities of stuff that you find in putting dirtle door to a side that was absolutely horrendous what happened there in the summer but just at like Chapman's Pool or any of these places that collect the plastic, the amount of plastic that's in the ocean is what really shocks me, to be honest, and what probably made me think I need to do something about this because it's just it's just incredible the amount of plastic that's actually out there. Yeah, well, how many times have we been at Chapman's and it's a bit stormy and we're actually watching the plastics wash in on every single wave? Yeah, you, you know, the waves crash on the the beach don't they and as they wash away there's a tide line of plastics mm, yeah it's scary and i think once you've seen that yeah. there's no there's no going back then really you sort of yeah it sort of opens your eyes to it and you have to do something about it yeah and i, I think from that as well it's the important thing from you saying that you're seeing all this sort of stuff in places like chapman's pool which is 
let's face it, fairly inaccessible to the average person in terms of it's down a lot of steps and steep footpaths. Uh, so you're not really going to walk down a huge amount unless you are out and about and you know that it's there. And generally speaking, I guess you guys access it from the water in the kayaks? Uh, well, we walk, walk down there, yeah. and, but it's, it's sort of places like Chapman's Pool. It's not generally stuff. Well, to be honest, I've never really seen much that's been left at Chapman's Pool. Yeah, um, it's not. It's stuff that washes in all the flotsam and jetsam, and and it's 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 in the sea, and all the all the currents there. It just brings it all and collects it in one place. And when it comes in there, it sort of never leaves, and it just gets smashed up into small pieces. Which is why sort of I personally focus my efforts there, mm. try and get it up before it smashes into the smaller bits. And then obviously you can't really do a lot about it. Then once it's broken down in small bits, gets in the food chain and and so on. So yeah. So what's the what's the biggest amount in one hit that you've had to take off of a beach in terms of weight? I suppose is something that everybody can relate to. Chapman's any time I've helped Ollie, we've regularly got eighty hundred kilograms off at a time, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, like crazy amounts. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, six of us uh, near Seaton, we went about a mile down the coast, walking along the shingle beach, and between six of us, we brought back two hundred and twenty kilograms of plastic. Wow. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> Nuts. Yeah, that's that's my personal biggest load in one hit. Mm. But we do like a mission. This is it, Roy. You see, we, we, <laughs> we're, so, we're, we're all a bit doom and gloom. But actually, you know, we have a blooming good laugh. When yeah. we go out, um, we do have a good laugh. And it's almost a mission to collect as much as you... Obviously, we don't want this stuff washing up. But you've got to have fun at the same time and you've got to make it. Otherwise, no one's going to come and give you a hand. If you're there, miserable about it, down about it, then... <laughs> No one's going to join in, so we do have a bit of a laugh. We do. We're trying to make beach cleaning cool, <laughs> whether it works or not. I think you do a good job. You definitely do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I can say I was going to ask what the most satisfying part in terms of the, the beach cleans or just running clean Jurassic Coast in in general. Like, what's the most satisfying part of that for you? For me, you meet loads of good people, which is always nice. I think just the satisfying thing is just knowing that when you've spent a few hours or a day clearing all the bags of rubbish off the beach you just know that you've made a difference you know, and, you know, the little saying is every piece is a victory and you know every piece is a potential life saved you know, a fish or an animal isn't going to eat it mm. so i think that's probably the most satisfying thing is just knowing that you know you are making a difference even though sometimes it feels like you're making you know a very small dent in the in the whole thing yeah i say a similar thing really i think it's it's the whole knowing that there is actually a big community out there doing it. Because like Roy said earlier, when we first started out, we were thinking, no, it's just us. No one else is doing it, which was a bit of a short, because we were new to it, perhaps, the actual beach cleaning side of things. Um, it was like, oh, you know, no one else is doing this. But there is a massive community and it is growing as well. I think the environment, the whole environmental movement, if you like, is just growing exponentially at the moment. I think people are waking up and realising that we need to take responsibility for our actions you know minimize our impact because there's a lot of us and uh, there's only one planet so we need to look after it absolutely how much do you think that's been affected by the issues during the first lockdown or just afterwards when everyone's flocked down to the beaches and, and what have you and we've seen some fairly horrific behavior in terms of the amount of rubbish that's been 
left behind. But how much do you think that this pandemic has also maybe given people the opportunity to get involved with this actually when maybe they would be too busy otherwise with their day-to-day lives to jump in or something on something like this? I think we were lucky in the summer with so many people on furlough and wanting something to do. And we were just arranging lots of little beach queens up and down the Jurassic Coast. And we've got quite a few regulars coming along. The pandemic's helped on that just because people have got free time and they've seen the the state of the place out there and they feel inspired to come and join us. It's been good for that. But conversely, a lot of people have been on furlough. A lot of people are visiting the beaches and probably making it a little bit worse than it would otherwise have been in the first place. But we'll take the positive that lots of people help. <laughs> Just going to spring this question on you slightly that um, one of the projects that you've been working with is the Ocean Recovery Project with Neil at yeah. Keep It and Tidy. Um, and watching their video on Instagram of the amount of bodyboards discarded and picked up on the beaches and the project they did with the surfboard, which is well worth having a look at on uh, on their Instagram page. Yeah, that was that was quite eye opening. I think I've actually I've just started working part time for them, just a few days a month helping out, which is brilliant. So I'm starting to see the inside of what they're doing, what they're trying to achieve, and how all the plastics to get taken to a processing plant and they get cleaned and shredded and then they'll get made into things like picnic benches and fence posts and stuff like that and it's a lot of the plastics that they're shredding are plastics that aren't normally recyclable so it's pretty good from that point of view they're doing lots of good things okay that's cool and and, uh, just briefly do you want to give us a quick sort of rundown of the ocean recovery project and what they're they're doing yeah basically any any hard plastics so you know even sort of yeah, plastic bottles are probably about the softest plastics they might go to. So they get taken to a, a recycling facility in Exeter and say shredded into you know smaller plastics that can then be reused and remade into other other products. But they're also promoting other stuff. There's lots of stuff I think they would like to do in the future, but um, I'll leave that to Neil. No, that's fair enough. I mean, I think the, the thing that I found fascinating when I spoke to Neil recently was that it's all stuff all the plastics they use was recovered from the marine yeah, environment. Absolutely, yeah, uh, I was with them um, Monday and Tuesday. We went to Cornwall to pick up a shipment, a small container full of plastics that got shipped over from the Isles of Scilly and then took that up to the Exeter plant for, I don't know what you call it, reuse, should we say? Yeah, <laughs> yeah recycling. Yeah. So I guess that kind of feeds into to the question a little bit of what happens to the stuff that you pick up on the beaches because it's not so easy to then dispose of it. At least it's taken out of the marine environment. But yeah. going into landfill is not so great either. No. So. I mean, it depends on how much we're collecting from one beach clean. But you know, some of it can go... You know, I know, for instance, like Ollie's taken stuff back to his place and just put it into his recycling at home. Uh, sometimes we can get the council to collect stuff and hopefully they'll recycle it correctly. Hmm. Um, some of it literally does just go in the bin neither goes... Well, I think most of it nowadays goes to incinerator, which is then creating energy to go into the national grid. But obviously, there's pros and cons with burning plastics. I know their emissions systems are pretty good, but I don't know how good. Yeah, I don't know enough about... I know that there's um, all the waste that goes from the boat freight marinas, generally speaking, or a lot of the waste that goes from the boat freight marinas on the south coast will go to the recovery energy yeah. recovery facility in Marchwood and Portsmouth yeah. I think and yeah so I mean the, I guess the thing is though that once you've burnt it you can't get it back so if in the future if you're able yeah. to then recycle or recover it then it's gone yeah and which is a shame 
but the lesser of the evils at the moment. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, Ollie, Ollie, you did a, well, you were both involved in the swim over uh, this summer just gone. Um, so you swam the Jurassic Coast, essentially, all 96 miles of it, or just over, uh, from Exmouth to Studland Bay over nine days, I think, was it? Yeah, we did. That's, um, that's right. So it was definitely a, a group challenge. I'm 100%. i got to say that because I would never have been able to do it with that boy. But yeah, it was, um, it was, in the end, it was 100 miles because we did a little extra bit. We thought we'd do a little extra bit at the end to round it up, <laughs> as you do. But yeah, it was epic. Just a few more miles. <laughs> yeah, had a few on the end. No, incredible, really. I mean, I can talk about that all day, so it depends what you want to hear about the swim. Crack on. <laughs> Got an evening, so yeah, no. Well, um, where do we start on the swim, Roy? So where, where did it all begin? I think we were in... Originally, you wanted to swim from Lowworth to Chapman's Pool. That was the... Yeah. And we thought that was a big swim, didn't we? We were like, oh, I don't know, it's probably perhaps a little bit too far... I'll have to do a lot of training for that. And then somehow it just, it was like, you know what, let's swim the Jurassic Coast. Yeah. Uh, and then your training was relentless. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, again, like we we're going back to, you know, the benefits of lockdown, I suppose that there was a benefit there was I, I wasn't working. I wasn't able to work. So I had a lot of time in my hands. My girlfriend's laughing in the background. <laughs> um, so I had a lot of time in my hands. So I was able to do a lot of training. For the swim so i was out training you know a couple of hours each day in the sea doing some big swims with roy on the kayak and just really getting used to having a kayak there mm-hmm. something to keep looking up at when we're swimming he, he keeps me in a straight line so i don't swim into any cruise ships or anything <laughs> keep you fed and watered <laughs> yeah yeah that's right so- I'm, I'm laughing here sorry I'm, i am um, i've done a a, a a sea swim once and i Started off at the beach, ran into the water, and then swam basically straight into the middle of the course and into a kayak. Smacked my head, and then they had to kind of follow me around the entire course to keep me straight out. So that's why I was laughing at that one because I know how hard it is to swim in a straight line in the sea <laughs> or anywhere. It's difficult, but when you got the kayak, we had it absolutely dialed. We've always done a lot of these swim events and things before, so we knew what he was doing. And it was really brilliant because I was—I'm used to having to look up every sort of ten strokes to see where I was going. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the swim, I just put my head up and I got Roy smiling at me or pulling a face, or we were pulling the faces at each other the whole time. <laughs> so it, was, it was pretty cool. <laughs> I'll tell you what—I I mean, I've, I have kayaks with a lot of swimmers. I've done a lot of swim events. Uh, safety support and stuff like that but that guy right there young ollie there yeah he's he's got hands the size of shovels so he goes along with a barrel lick (laughs) (laughs) he just flies along and we were knocking up you know 20 odd kilometers a day most days weren't we in the end i think yeah the longest swim was the one we did it at chapman's pool didn't we did a little victory lap at the end (laughs) because i wanted to beat my previous longest swim Yeah. yeah I think it was 21 kilometres. We got to Chapman's Pool and I looked at my watch and it was like 21.2 or something. I said, Roy, can we do a few laps of the pool to get it up to 22? That's right. <laughs> so we managed to get it up to 22 at Chapman's Pool, which was quite fitting, I thought. It was definitely good. fitting, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was, um, that was a, a good good challenge. We, it was the second or the third day when we set off from Branscombe. Bear in mind, it's the end of August. It was a hailstorm. So we had um, unique conditions, didn't we, on that one? And then, <laughs> and then two days later, we're sunbathing and almost getting heat stroke when we got a heat wave. It was amazing. Luckily, luckily Roy's a bit of a, um, 
almost a bit of a Boy Scout, if you like. He rigged up a little bit of a shelter from his kayak and he had a tarpaulin. And I'm absolutely, I'm flaked <laughs> out at this point. I was quite tired. Where was it, Roy? Ringstead? That was Ringstead. Or just yeah. down at Ringstead. So he's set up this tarpaulin. I've got ginger hair. I don't do too well in the sun. So we're tucked <laughs> under this tarpaulin, snoring away. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Still hot, but and it the sun off us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it did the job. And so you guys, you were wide camping as you as you hopped along the coast? Yeah. Or were you, you, were you sleeping in, were you sort of safe for surfing or? Well, I, I camped on the beaches. I'm going to quickly butt in now because I know what he's going to say. <laughs> To use Roy's words, I was lording it up in my van. <laughs> so I was I was sleeping in the back of my van on a nice mattress <laughs> and a, a comfy memory foam mattress. Uh, and Roy was sleeping on the beach in his bivouac. You've got to keep the swimmer safe. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was there any points where you thought that this is, this is not going so well? This, this is, you know, maybe this isn't such a good idea or are we going to get into trouble here? Or? No. Um, the first day, we got about half an hour into it, if that, and realised that the Exmouth firing range was live and the safety boat came over to, uh, to have a chat with us. Oh. Yeah, that was, a, that was a bit of a moment, that one. That was a bit of a moment. It was the gunfire gave it away. <laughs> um, but we had a quick chat with them, told them what we were doing, and blessed them, they, they managed to hold off the firing for half an hour and the boat escorted us through the range. So we didn't have to do... A, well, I think it was about two miles out to see Detour to go around it. So that was nice. So the, it started off well. Um, but then after that, it was fairly plain sailing, wasn't it? I think the second day was a bit rough, uh, conditions-wise. The third day was our first big day, wasn't it? Because we went from Branscombe to Charmer. Yeah, that was awesome. So I'm very lucky because I loved every minute of it. I love swimming. Yeah. But I, I think that, I say, like Roy says, when the boat came along, the military boat, <laughs> I think Roy sort of stopped me and said, we've got a problem. And I thought, oh no, what's going on? I thought, I, I thought maybe his kayak was sinking or something. <laughs> and he said the range was uh, closed. We had to go around, but I struggled a little bit because I pulled my elbow on that. And then I had a bad elbow for the rest of the swim. So that was quite tricky. So we were dosing up on painkillers. Forgot about that. Yeah. Not the best thing to, to have right at the start, is it? <laughs> not on the first, not after all that training, I didn't have one problem. And then the first day of the swim, because I literally, I was swimming as fast as I could to get past this range, because the bloke had said, you know, you're going to have to swim quickly. And Roy had already told him, don't worry, he's a quick swimmer. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to have to no, swim no quick. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, so they, they, they wouldn't have known what a fast swimmer was like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably not. Yeah. <laughs> and what was, what was the high point of the, the swim was there a particularly magical point where you were just like this is amazing oh, I'll let you answer first <laughs> <laughs> there were quite a few high points I think one of the, the various high points were things just various people that came along and met us which was really nice to see all that, all that support getting the, the tides right around Portland that was cool well chuffed with that one um, we, we were fast around there weren't we that was that was crazy. I think my, my average pace in like normal conditions swimming, I think for a kilometre, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think it's about 15 minutes. I might be wrong. But I, I know that we were doing something like eight-minute kilometres going around. We were absolutely flying around Portland. It felt like we had a... Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got to be careful. You've got to get it right. But yeah. that's where Roy, that's where yeah. Roy came in amazing and, and planned all the tides. It was nice because I just had to turn up and swim. Roy had to <laughs> <laughs> Roy had to do all the hard work. With Portland, 
going the other way, you've actually got a bigger tide window, but going anti-clockwise, as it were, there's yeah. a shorter tide window to get around. Um, but obviously, luckily, it was nice and calm, so we had the, the inside passages, as it's called, and staying close to the bill. Yeah. But I just knew it was almost going to be military precision with the timing to get that right, and we, we did know that one. Was, I was happy with that one. That was a high point. I love the fact that I mean, so many, so many people in boats, Portland Bill and Portland Race kind of strikes fear into the hearts of seafarers everywhere. And you're just like, yeah, just it. <laughs> it, it, it was incredible. And I had my friends and family all up. I had a couple of friends that had come down and, and I didn't realise it was going to be there. And I'm swimming along and thinking, oh, hey, man. And I stopped to like wave. Next thing I know, I'm nearly gone. I've gone past them because the tide's <laughs> going that quick. I promised it wasn't like that the whole time. I did have to swim. <laughs> but, um, Around Portland, it did feel like I was cheating, to be honest, because we had such a such a good tide. Yeah, good that one, but <laughs> yeah, oh yes, yeah. When there's a helping hand, you've got to take it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The lowest point for me, for continuing on this theme, was that last bit from Chapman's to Studland. Got the tides right, but didn't know about a massive back eddy that comes off St Oldham's Head. We got caught in that. Poor old Ollie, I don't think he's ever swum so hard in his life, but it put us behind and then we had the tide against us as we were going past Swanage all the way to Old Harry. That was a that seriously difficult, yeah. Was, yeah, that was a low point for me because I got it so right all the way through up until that point. And, but the, the back end is not mentioned on the Admiralty charts. No, so we'll let you off. We'll let you off for that one. Yeah, I have but since it, found was... it in a yachting almanac that I found and it's mentioned in there, but I didn't have that one at the time, so. <laughs> have you forgiven him for that ollie yeah i'll let him off i'll let him off <laughs> to be honest the, the last day for me was like a combined low and high because the swim was an absolute nightmare we say so we got caught in that back eddy it was pretty much swimming backwards yeah. and then going through past swanage chap goes past in his dinghy and he was like are you the guy that was on tv oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was quite funny that was not the high point and then he said, you do know the tide's going against you now. I'm like, yeah, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> Swam round old Harry against the tide. It was a spring tide. And my mate in the kayak said, I don't know how you just swam around there because I struggled kayaking around there. And I've absolutely got nothing left. And then my old swimming coach who helped me train, Mark Newman, I've got to give him a little shout out. He's a legend. He actually swam out and joined me. So that was an, that was an awesome moment, having him come out and swim with us for the last little bit. Yeah. So that was cool. Awesome. Yeah, good fun. What incredible lives Ollie and Roy are living. In the next episode of Folk Tales, we'll hear more about their mission to protect our planet. See you then.